Hello Hello there. Welcome back to episode 74 of Star Wars in a Galaxy. Today, we are doing something just a little bit different. We are talking about the unfinished arc, the Crystal Crisis arc. For a long time, I didn't know this existed, um, so I'm very glad to have gotten the opportunity to watch it. As always, I'm Jacob. I'm Eli. Eli, do you want to give us some background information about this arc? Because I think you know more about this than I do. I, I'd love to. This arc is... Um, I was very excited about this because it feels like, for me, a break from what we've been doing. You know, we've been re-watching a lot of stuff. This is Jacob and my first time watching this arc. Yeah, I knew, we were going in cold. I knew a few sparse details about this arc um, uh, with the story, but I know quite a bit about production. The production goes a little something like this. So they were making season six and seven and even eight of the Clone Wars. Uh, as Dave Filoni described it, they were they made the Clone Wars when when it came out, the Clone Wars was about three seasons ahead in production of the stuff that was coming out. So for example, when they were making when when season one was being released, they were making seasons three, four, and five, basically. Um and um, so when the show got canceled um, because Disney bought Star Wars and they didn't want um, Clone Wars to keep showing on Cartoon Network because they had Disney XD to rival Cartoon Network, um, there were these reels that were just left there that were unfinished. One of them was The Bad Batch, which later got completed as a part of the Clone Wars revival, season 7 in 2020. And the other one was The Crystal Crisis. Unfortunately, Crystal Crisis never got completed because they chose to replace it with the Martez Sisters arc for season seven of Star Wars The Clone Wars. And the re- unfinished reels of the Bad Batch and Crystal Crisis that were on StarWars.com were unfortunately removed. Luckily, some brave soul on the internet, who I will link down below, made a Reddit post which links to a YouTube post, which links to a Dropbox, which has the four files um, That's off to you, Eli. You got the internet sleuthing on lock. <laughs> yeah, um, I, 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 I bought myself this. I bought myself. I showed Jacob this. I bought myself literally a Clone Wars season six DVD. I'm holding it up to the camera right now because I thought it might have to delete the scenes on it. Turns out, screw this thing. It doesn't have any of it on it. Oh, um, so disappointing. It's it's very disappointing. Um, I spent an entire fifteen dollars on that. Um, <laughs> oh no! How are you? I'm never going to financially recover from this. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so this is, um, this is like that scene in the um this is like that scene in the uh, the episode with the Munes that we watched a few weeks ago where they're freaking out because all the banks are actually empty of all the money <laughs> and all the banks are, they're all being propped up by the separatists. Am I secretly a separatist spy? I not wonder. clickbait. Not clickbait. Not clickbait. Everybody <laughs> click. Everybody click. Anyway, so um, so I got the files, um, and I'm like, yeah, we're gonna watch these. And so the key to finding things before we get into any summaries, any fortune cookies, any anything, let's talk a little bit about how these episodes look. The animation is obviously unfinished. Yeah. Um, the biggest thing is like the facial expressions. Like, there's no moving lips. People don't talk. Um, they glide also, around. There's no, yeah, there's no real walking. There's, there's no walking. They just glide. And often, when there are exterior shots of planets, they literally have placeholder texts. Yeah. So it'll say like placeholder, like it, 
exterior Utapau. Yeah. So it's but, it's definitely very, very skeletal. Yeah, it, it's it's not complete. Let me tell you what is there. The animation's there, the backgrounds are there, the um the rigs are there. Yeah. Like the, the assets are there for the characters. A lot of dialogue. The more, yeah. A and lot of the more say, advanced choreography is there as well. Yeah. Like in a lot of the chase scenes and the fight scenes, you actually get everyone twirling around, you know, spinning lightsabers. Absolutely, yeah. Words, taking aim. And, and, uh, and dialogue and music, of course, which is huge. Yeah. Um, Tim, I don't know if it was just me noticing it or because it was unfinished, but to me, parts of the dialogue felt a little bit unfinished. Really interesting. Like it felt, it actually, felt less polished than other episodes. Interesting, because I actually felt like I thought the dialogue, at least between Anakin and Obi-Wan, the banter back and forth between them was unparalleled. In this oh yeah, no, there was some totally stellar banter as I think we're gonna, as I think we're gonna get into. One yeah, of the we'll things that, that makes me so sad having watched this that it didn't come to fruition was how much depth this, how much depth this gives Anakin and Obi Wan's relationship Undoubtedly. Undoubtedly in the Wars. Does. Yeah, but um, I think before before we hop into that, I think we should we should uh we should summarize so we can you know start off clean, make sure that see. make sure that everyone's on the same page as us. In a death on Utapau, we see Anakin and Obi Wan traveling to none other than Utapau to investigate the mysterious death of a Jedi Master. Uh, while they are there, um, an autopsy is performed, and this leads them to find that the um, the Jedi Master was killed by a precision laser dart because she stumbled upon a, a highly secret meeting. This leads them to uh, discover uh, some shady dealings of the Amani people on Utapau, and one of these Amani tribes is involved with these Sugi people who are in turn involved in, an, in a potential separatist arms deal. So the Jedi, of course, they try to, uh, they try to get the Utapau government involved. Um, the governor, however, is, is very reluctant and they end up um, facing off with some Magna Guards as the, as the trail kind of heats up. And yeah, that's, that's kind of where we leave off at the end Absolutely. and it, it kind of sets us up in for uh in search of the crystal the crystal yeah uh, our fortune cookie is one crime has to be concealed by another i think it doesn't have a to me it isn't especially interesting or or insightful um for this episode yes it is true it is definitely for me, maybe it is. It is definitely the Clone Wars finally acknowledging my uh, obsession. Yes, they definitely, they definitely got this idea from me of my obsession with uh, peeling back the layers. Um, yep. And that, that's what I, it reminded me of. I wrote in my notes, legitimately, I wrote back um, uh, about a development in this episode. We are peeling back these layers. Yeah. Um, this entire become... this entire arc is like my, is, is basically. It feels like fan service for my obsession with when Star Wars decides to like go slow and go mysterious and peel back. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, if if um, the uh, Yoda and the Force arc was fan service to me and my obsession with anything mystical in the Force, this is your obsession with the mystery type storytelling. Um, oh yes, absolutely. 
Absolutely. I mean, yeah. And, and before we begin, I just want to say these episodes, I don't know about you, Eli, I had way more fun watching them than I ever thought I would when you told me, hey, we're going to watch some unfinished Clone Wars episodes. Interesting. I was like, oh man, these are this might be a drag. But no, this was, these episodes for me, they were so just irreverent and, and goofy and out of left field. It really felt like a, a throwback to early Clone Wars, but like even more. I had that comment too, yeah. Um, I had that comment too that it felt like a throwback. I think this is going to be one of the rare uh, instances where I think you're going to like this a lot more than I do. It's not that I yeah, hate this maybe. at all, but like I think um, this arc, spoiler for my personal opinion on it, I think this arc is maybe the weakest of the later Clone Wars arcs for me. It's not that it's bad, it just doesn't do as much for me, but I, there's definitely some stuff I love in here. Um, yeah. But let's get into this. Um, uh, first of all, let's talk about this opening narration because I love that what this sets up, and I'm disappointed by like how it sets it up so well, and then it just doesn't do much with it. So it describes the ecosystem, the political and, and geographic ecosystem of Utapau. Utapau is divided up into these three species. There's the older species, uh, the Pawans and the Utai, hence getting the name Utai Pawan Utapau. Um, and then there are these, there's this new transplant of uh, species called the Amani. They're described as primitive and uh, more violent. Um, am I the only one who is just like, oh, I'm so excited to get to see all three of these in action, and then we get the Pawans and then we get the Amani and the Utai just get snubbed. Yeah, the Utai, I think the only I think the only reason I know about the Utai is because their name checked in like one or two of these, you know, Star Wars visual dictionary books. Yeah, that's was me like too. in the li- in the in the library that you yeah. that you look at. That's pretty much me. I only know Utai from reference books. And I'm yeah. like, oh, we're they're finally gonna get there doing this arc. And then I watch the nope. arc, I'm like Damn, Absolutely they don't not. finally get their due, man. Man, the the Utai really get get uh they really get done dirty in this. Maybe um maybe somewhere down the line we can get a a comic. Maybe maybe on Star Wars Utai cut. Hashtag for the Utai. Yeah, maybe, maybe down the maybe down the line we get like an Utai Utai anthology movie or something. Yeah, little, uh, I'm just really Utai curious about them because they're special. short little stubby guys and I know yeah they live. I mean, where it, cliffs are just like commonplace. Yeah, and I mean, if if Star Wars has taught us anything, it's to uh, never underestimate a, a short and stubby species. But yeah, I, I I agree with you about the um about the opening. It really would have changed how Revenge of the Sith parts of Revenge of the Sith on Utapau play out. Um, and I'm sorry, but Anakin walking in this in this first scene, him disembarking, it's the most cursed thing ever. I mean, this makes this reminds me. This feels like a hybrid between the Clone Wars and Kotor. That's what that's what it feels like to me graphically. Like it really, it really, and it make it really, really makes Kotor graphics look look uh super advanced and cutting edge by Jacob, comparison obviously this is unfinished, unfinished okay if we I had know, the finished arc 
that would have looked as good as season six arcs. I know it would have looked. Yeah, yeah, I can't stop thinking about how amazing it would have looked. Uh, yet, I will say I don't this know about is, you, but I'm sorry. I was gonna say this is funny. Going from this to the Bad Batch next, oh. uh, no, or to like Ahsoka's walkabout. We're actually doing Ahsoka's walkabout first. Even so, yeah. season seven animation is peak animation, mm, and this guess. is an unfinished reel. It's gonna be. It's gonna be a bit of a shock. It's gonna be um, jarring. And yet, I don't know about you, Eli, but I feel like by the time by the time we got to uh, Crystal Crisis, by the time I was on the uh, hell, even even at the, by the time I was on um, In Search of the Crystal, the second episode, I feel like I had adapt. I feel like I had grown accustomed to the visual language, and I was able to just kind of focus on the story, despite how crazy silly and and goofy a lot of it looked simply because of it being unfinished yeah i was i i knew that i knew what i was walking into with this i guess i i knew that you know these episodes aren't going to be the creme de la creme visually yeah um but that they still tell an interesting story that's part of the canon and that i want to see that and i think that and i was able to kind of compartmentalize that i guess um let's talk about um you want to talk about master two on yeah let's let's talk about master two on because that's kind of where this whole thing kicks off master two on is shot dead by a precision laser dart on utapau because she was um spying on a secret meeting that the amani were holding with um an arms dealing species called the sugi um Tuan is described by Obi-Wan as a maverick, and he specifically points out, and I love this little detail, he specifically points out, oh, like my old master. And I find it so interesting that Obi-Wan starts the arc by talking about his old master that's gone, and later we hear Anakin talk about his young Padawan, who's also gone. It's this. That's arc a very interesting observation. Is it's a, this arc is a lot about loss, and it's a lot about you know the generations of these Jedi who you know come and go, and we see that a lot with Obi Wan and Anakin banter. Um, but I, I just it just got me thinking about that. Um, and very interesting. Way, yeah, I yeah. totally didn't pick up on that connection. That's really cool. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe one reason that this arc. I know, I know it was unfinished, but, you know, maybe it's for the best. You know, I think maybe this would have stepped on, uh, maybe this would have stepped on um, the lost one's toes, you know, another, another missing Maverick right after, uh, right after we have, but another missing Maverick right after we have the, the Sifo-Dyas arc, you know, the, the investigation, I think, you know, pretty, pretty standard late Clone Wars stuff, uh, take a shot for every time I say peeling back the layers. But yeah. one thing that felt, I, I I thought the dialogue in this felt very not the Clone Wars. It felt very it felt very prequel, maybe even prequel deleted scene, where it just felt a little bit off and stilted to me. Like when they were talking about the precision optical laser, they said they said the word they said the phrase precision optical laser way too many times in a short span. I know. Yeah. Did you did you notice that, or was that just me? I, I, I've taken the least notes on any episode that I've ever taken on A Death of Budapau. Um, 
And I, and I appreciate the Clone Wars tendency of pin bang layers. I think it moved a little too slow for me. I think it didn't peel back the layers quite quick enough. Yeah, yeah. I think um, I think you're absolutely right there. Um, personally, I didn't mind it that much, but you know, yeah. the the Toydarian. I feel like the Toydarian, the part where they're interrogating this Toydarian, totally unnecessary. Then you have the lab, and then they're talking to the governor. Yeah, the and then lab they go is fly a little to meet the Amani. Yeah, and then like, and then uh, like the 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 lab. I do like the Toydarian only because Anakin gets really pissed at the Toydarian yeah. because he's obviously reminded of Watto. Yeah, and I it's love not, and- how he immediately threatens him. It's not like it's not a he wants to do it. It's instinctual. It's yeah. It's like it's so much built up. His built up rage. Coming from from the pain of of being in servitude, Awato has just made him go berserk. It's crazy to see how he just goes berserk on this random Toydarian. Team with the governor, Governor Blom. Governor Blom, yeah. That was so completely unnecessary. Yeah, there's literally a lot in this Governor Blom was like, that. "Hey, you gotta leave," and Obi Wan <laughs> and Anakin to quote the infamous meme go, "Oh no!" Anyway, yeah. <laughs> And then, and then they're like, oh, but we suspect there's an arms deal. He's like, okay, we don't care. And everyone's just like, oh, you don't want our help? And the X's all surprised. And the Pound's like, no. Because he's obviously then, he's exactly very goes, suspicious himself. Then everyone goes, oh, no. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Thanks so, our yeah, there's I a love lot how of, they just yeah. carry on as if nothing happened. Yeah. I think for me, I think the the interesting part of this episode kicks up when we when we get to meet the Amani, when Anakin yeah. and Obi Wan fly in, they meet the Amani. Um, I don't know about you, Eli, but yeah. throwback to the uh, the foundation, the genesis of in a galaxy. This the scene with the Amani gave me some serious. Kotor cutscene alien language vibes. Oh, interesting. I was thinking it really, right now. It really reminded it me, me of that. It brought me back to the Tulls from uh, season one. Mm, it, yeah, it, yeah, definitely, definitely that yeah, vibe but, as well. I mean, yeah, the way the way it just maybe because it was unfinished, the way you just have a shot of Anakin or Obi Wan saying a quick line, and, and, and then, then you cut over to like a pretty still shot of the alien. And the way too long. Just, yeah, the, yeah, and the alien was just talking. Doobie doof, blah, blah. Was like, yeah, doobie doof, blah, blah. Alien's just talking for way too long. <laughs> so, yeah, that definitely that definitely made me, uh, not necessarily nostalgic, but yeah, it remi- let's, I was reminded of KOTOR. I was reminded yeah. of KOTOR, even yeah. if I'm glad that we've we've passed that stage of the show. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I got to say... Um, uh, <laughs> my favorite line of the episode, I don't, I don't know if you remember, um, remember Anakin and Obi-Wan were trying to, um, they were trying to defeat the Magnagars that were in, that were, that were trying to, they were trying to follow the Magnagars, and Obi-Wan's like, capture one of them, and Anakin yeah. defeats one, and then he slams the other one into, like, a, like, some sort of generator, he goes, oops, I broke it! Yeah, I wrote that down as well. It's so freaking fun. Anakin's and Obi-Wan's sass in this arc is off the charts. No, yeah, everything about this arc is so over the top. Like, yeah. It makes me wonder what, how this would have played out 
or how it would have been changed because I feel like it would have been so completely out of line with the rest of late Clone Wars, at least as as we've as we've seen it with season five, season six, season seven. I get that. I also do feel like like I think this stuff is important. I think this you know I, we talk about seasons. We talk about season six being an apology for seasons one through five. Um, before they eventually regress, of course. And I think that Crystal Crisis, in a lot of ways, continues that trend. Where mm. they get so close, like Anakin and Obi-Wan get so close to finally revealing like their true feelings to each other. Yeah, and then they don't. And then they don't. And then it's the tragedy of if they could have just gone that little bit further. Yeah. I think that's, once again part of the brilliance of the late Clone Wars is how well it, it shows this, um, how well it shows this idea and, you know, how heartbreaking they can make it. <laughs> yeah. So you're, you're spot on there. Yeah. Um, got I mean, anything else for the, this episode? Uh, no, I'm, I mean, I think we can move on pretty quickly. I have one more thing, but like, this episode, yeah, it, it felt like this, I feel like 80%, 80 or 90% of this episode just could have, could have been avoided altogether. And I don't think the story really would have been changed that much. Um, that being said, the Magna Gar duel, I thought it was freaking awesome. I wish we could have got it in finished form because, you know, despite the clunky visuals, I, I, the choreography is all there. And I thought it was, I thought it was absolutely spot on. I don't know about you. Yeah, no, I I really appreciate. I like again. I appreciate what this episode, but this episode does. I'm excited to move on to the other ones because there's some, especially in the second and fourth episodes. There's some there's some really good stuff. Um, you want to move on to uh, in search of the crystal? Yeah. Speaking of the second episode, we have in search of the crystal. Anakin and Obi Wan now realize they they find out that the arms deal is concerning a massive kyber crystal they pull up on the plains amani following a lead um however they are captured by the the sugi which are a are, are they are they a, are they a species are they cybernetically enhanced with those legs i, I thought really they were species going on. i'm pretty sure they're it's, a species they're captured by the Sugi. They are taken to the, the Sugi leader at the camp. However, of course, Anakin and Obi-Wan, being Anakin and Obi-Wan, after another long walk to the base of operations, eventually um, Anakin and Obi-Wan uh, escape custody. However, the chief arms dealer um, also escapes from the uh, from the whirlwind of violence that is the uh, the Jedi when they don't like something. And that's where it ends. Absolutely. Um, our fortune cookie is the journey is often more important than the destination. What do you think of this one? Because I, I, I kind of came up, I came up lacking thinking about this fortune cookie. I actually think this is the episode. best fortune cookie of the arc. Um, oh, which really? Doesn't actually, tell. say a lot of, about the fortune cookies, really. Um, uh, but, um, you know, I, I think of, you know, like the hero's journey with, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, your, your standard Luke, Ezra, Ahsoka, Rey, not Ahsoka, Luke, Ezra, Anakin, Rey, though it can also apply to Ahsoka as well. 
um, uh, uh, and how, you know, where they end up is important, but what's more important is the trials and the tribulations that they had to face in the meantime. You know, I am a Jedi like my father before me doesn't work as well if you disregard the Dagobah chaining sequences. Um, Ray facing off against Palpatine on Exegol doesn't work as well if you disregard the Octo training sequences. Ezra yeah. um, vanishing Thrawn from the galaxy doesn't work as well if you disregard the stuff in like mid season one with training with Kanan. In terms of characters, I think you're you're absolutely right, and you brought up a, a good point that I that I hadn't uh, that I hadn't thought of. However, I would also contend that when you're investigating a murder and a potentially a massive arms deal, I'd say the destination is also pretty important. Oh, well, if you want to find yeah. the murderer, you know. So I don't yeah. know, but yeah. I, I don't know. It, it's cool. It's cool. You know, I didn't quite, I didn't quite vibe with it, but clearly, uh, you you found a, a valuable takeaway. So you know, nothing to yeah. nothing to complain about there, I suppose. Um, yeah. So. Where do you want to jump in? We see the, uh, I think I think it's cool to see the the Utapau planes to get to see I, I a little agree. bit more. And I, think I totally. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I, I don't know. I was just gonna say I think this episode, like the last, I really like what it does um, for the the Utapau and uh, world building. Um, I, I wish that we could have seen this come to fruition because I think I think. Once, once again, I think for better or for worse, this is, an, this is an example of how having seen Revenge of the Sith now without having seen this, we really see how elements of the prequels can be changed, especially Revenge of the Sith can be changed by, by the presence of, you know, having having it backed up and having some of the events kind of uh, backed up and contextualized by the Clone Wars. Yeah. Um, I think the whole sequence where they engage the Imani is good, and uh, I think it's ex an exciting sequence, but there's one line I want to get to in the conversation that follows, and I think you know what it is. I'll contact Ahsoka. Maybe she can. Oh, jeez. I knew that it was is... coming. I knew that line was coming. I was not prepared for that entire conversation, but this is, I think, the biggest strength of this arc, honestly. This whole conversation is the biggest strength of this arc. Yeah, it. I mean, even just yeah, momentarily forgetting she's in the order. It, but the, just the fact that he refuses to talk about it with Obi Wan, it's so while to me very expected. It's just it's so sad to see how Anakin doesn't doesn't feel any way. I miss her, okay? He doesn't feel, yeah. Oh, sorry. yeah. He doesn't feel there's any way to cope with his, his feelings. I miss her, okay? Is that what you wanted me to say? I still can't understand how she could have left the Order. It was wrong. She's a Jedi. She belongs with us. She's one of us. Yeah. I, I think I, this, this moment... Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say, I, I think it's interesting how the people who Anakin feels great attachments to, he often goes straight to control with. Yeah. She belongs with us. You know, this is this rings this has very this is very reminiscent of, of um I'm demanding as your husband that you not take this mission from the Clovis arc. Yeah. Because I think um, Anakin, I think he's dealt with so much instability 
um, and, and uncertainty and loss, especially early in this arc that when, when he has, when there's someone that he really loves and cares about, yeah, he, he doesn't know how to, he doesn't necessarily know how to handle that, especially given how between his experiences on Tatooine and then of course being growing up in the Jedi order, he's, he's kind of, he kind of is, his emotional development is, is somewhat stunted, I think. It's, it's really tragic. This whole scene is, is incredibly heart-wrenching. And I think one of the best parts of the scene easily is Matt Lanter. Matt Lanter kills it. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. The voice no acting is voice performance. exactly what it should be in that moment. Um, Absolutely. And and then I want to get to this this haunting line. It's really just... I think maybe one of my favorite lines of this episode. How would you feel if I turned into a major disappointment? You took me under your wing and practically raised me. I'm your Padawan, just like Ahsoka was mine. How well would you sleep knowing I failed you? Absolutely. Yeah, that's an absolutely bombshell for me. When my jaw hit the floor when I watched yeah. through that because we really see here how Anakin feels. He feels personally, but not only is he sad that Ahsoka left, not only is this a loss, but it's not just a loss for him. It's a personal betrayal for him. Yeah. And I also like just, this is one of the best uses in Star Wars of dramatic irony, because we know that Obi-Wan will have to go to sleep at night for the next 19 years pretty soon knowing that Anakin failed him. And Obi-Wan says, you know, luckily that's never going to happen. And yeah. you Man, just want to scream at the, the screen, you know what I mean? You want to scream. Yeah, I know. Absolutely. And, and tell them that they're heading towards a path of ruin, but you just can't. I also noticed a really incredible and haunting, and I don't know if they watched Crystal Crisis before they made Twin Sons, but notice when they're having these conversations, Obi-Wan's lying down by what? A bonfire. When Ezra finds old Ben in Twin Sons, what is he sitting by? A bonfire. Yeah. That's good. That's something I, that's a good parallel. That is something that I hadn't. I immediately thought of the Twin Sons bonfire, and I, I imagine Obi-Wan looking into that fire and thinking about what would happen if Anakin had failed him. And I think about Obi-Wan looking back at Twin Sons at that, at like a similar bonfire, knowing that indeed he had failed Anakin. Yeah. Um, Kenobi, you cannot come soon enough. Deborah Chow. Oh my goodness. In Deborah Chow we trust. Um, yep. So yeah, that's what I'm saying. Um, yeah. I mean, this is one of those scenes where this was really what made me this is really one of those moments where i went man if only these episodes had been completed if only yeah. this had been made available to a much wider audience of people who didn't have to like work to try and find it and seek it out and and sit through some unfinished episodes because i would just have loved to seen everyone's reaction to this to see yeah. you know how much hype would this get what would other people's 
reaction to this be? Because to me, this is just, this lends so much, much depth also to rebels and, and Anakin and Ahsoka or Vader and Ahsoka's confrontation in rebels where, where, where Anakin slash Vader is like, why did you leave me Ahsoka? I feel like this kind of helps explain so well why Anakin takes it so personally even though yeah. he's also fear even though he's also we can see he's also furious with the council and super disillusioned feels like they and feels like they totally mistreated Ahsoka which they arguably did so not only is he now resentful of Ahsoka it also just pushes him further away from 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 the Jedi and and further into you know the place of the place of resentment the place of uh i'm better than the jedi yeah i i should be free of the jedi yeah i know they recreated this scene some people recreated the scene in battlefront 2 of all things um using the anakin and obi-wan assets in in battlefront 2 now they can't open their mouths i mean as well but it's better um yeah i yeah, I, I, I love... The, the scene is, is maybe one of the most potent scenes in this entire arc. We, there's a lot of richness in this scene. Um, Anakin, dwelling on Ahsoka's decision, won't bring her back. And like that, and, and again, this they, they talk about in this... Um, I watched a behind-the-scenes video. They're talking about this arc, and they're like, we wanted to bring original trilogy themes into the prequel era with this arc. That's one well, of the certainly did that. And, and like, or like the tones and stuff like that. And that doesn't sound like a prequel Obi Wan line. That sounds like something that um, that Ben would say to Luke in New Hope. Yeah, this feels like the this feels like the Obi Wan who has had all too much experience with dwelling on the past in, I mean, can you even, this forces you to, to think when, when you watch this and realize what, what Obi-Wan's going to be going through soon in the story. Can you even imagine the weight that must be on Obi-Wan's shoulders for the rest of his life following Revenge of the Sith? It's just, it's just unimaginable to me. It's 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 incredible the the burden that Obi Wan has to bear, and I can't believe this is tying so much into Kenobi. Um, we are what by the time this episode releases, this episode will release officially three months out from the Kenobi series. Exactly. Unintentional Kenobi plug. <laughs> Unintentional Kenobi plug. Um, yeah, it, I'm I'm so excited for it, and I think it's going to be very beautiful, um, and very poignant. Um, yeah, I, I sure hope so. Yeah. Um, so, I want to, let's talk, I think we should break into this, if you don't mind. Let's talk about this crystal. The biggest mystery in this arc is what the hell are the Separatists using this crystal for? Okay. Yeah. It's never directly or indirectly stated in this arc. But I do believe that the Separatists were trying to make the Death Star. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think that um, 
I think that that only makes yeah. sense. That's the only possible explanation yeah. for me. I, I thought it was biggest Death Star flaws for sure. with this arc is that they don't directly or indirectly reference that. Yeah, I think it that felt that like was it was really... building to that. And if even if a separatist had dropped the term "ultimate super weapon," we would have gotten the point. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we see we see the little hologram on Geonosis in Attack of the Clones. Like the seed yeah, has been. We know the separatists planted. have it. Yeah, yeah, we know they have it, and we know that they're interested in developing it, and we know that Palpatine and his guys, the city, is interesting in development, developing it, and we see the, you know, the green beams when they shoot at the crystal that remind us of that. We get so close, but we don't actually get the illusion that I feel like we need in order for this to fully connect. Yeah, and I mean, I think in some ways that's one thing that I think sets apart the uh the kyber crystal episode in rebels in season four of rebels with um with Sagarera, which i think in some ways in the name of the rebellion feels like in the name of the rebellion which i think in some ways feels like maybe a bit of a tribute maybe more than a tribute i think it kind of takes some of the ideas from these episodes that ended up going unused and and putting it to use in a different way part of what makes that episode um so punchy and gives it weight is that we we don't, while we don't need to hear it outright we have those hints just those little hints that kind of bring in the the awe-inspiring terror of the death star that we know from rogue one that we know from um that we know from the original movie which i blanked the name of a new hope for a moment which we know from countless books and common comics and other media just being able to invoke that just a little bit just hint at it brings so much more weight and i i absolutely agree with you that that was missing here yeah i do like this now going back to this um when when they're approaching what anakin thinks is a mound and obi-wan goes that's no mound it's a spaceship that moment for me, I was like, it, man, it's a it reference. Up. It's like poetry. But if you look at the if you look back at what this arc is about, you remember that Obi-Wan says that in a new hope as they're approaching what? The Death Star. Oh my gosh, you're right. So oh my gosh. It's deeper than just a random reference. Then. It's oh not random at all. They're Obi-Wan was approaching a part of the Death Star here. And then there, he was approaching the actual thing. Wow, man, that totally yeah. that totally went over my head. But that made it's, that makes a lot more sense now as a moment. Yeah. It went over my head because I didn't uh, the first time I watched it um, because I didn't know like I didn't realize until like basically the last episode. Um, I didn't put it together that that was what it was being used for. I mean, like I did. Here's the thing: I I I suspected it was, but I, I wasn't sure until that last one. Um, yeah. Um, but I mean, we need to talk. I think I, I want to start talking about the, the banter between Obi-Wan and Anakin, which I think, yeah. I think it kind of starts, it picks up and really is a difference maker in this, in these episodes starting, you know, when they're woken up by the, uh, by the Sugi and they're, and they're captured because to me, I don't know about you, but I feel like this isn't your average Clone Wars banter. This is like no. Revenge of the Sith 
this is like Attack of the Clones Revenge of the Sith style Obi-Wan and Anakin. It's totally yeah. bridging that gap between yeah. the shows and the movies. Well, there are two types of really great ones, uh, uh, that types of their banter that I really love. The first one is what you're talking about, the just the sass, you know. Um, all right, now that was impressive. Thank you, Master. Yeah. Um, or the, I'm, try- I'm trying to act convincing. Well, bravo, brilliant performance. You know, those kind of sass lines are, that are just the peak of their banter to each other. There's also a lot of Clone Wars meta references, which keys back to what you were saying and, and something I noticed as well, which is that this arc feels like a throwback to the season one in two days. For example, I don't know if you caught this. Did you get catch, um, we're always in the ventilation duct, whatever ship we go in. Yeah. That's a meta reference. We know we 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 like like Anakin and Obi Wan would be great in a galaxy, is what I'm saying. Yeah, <laughs> I think they would. <laughs> Obi Wan, Obi- I just want to say, Obi Wan, thank you for acknowledging Star Wars's rampant rampant problem. Star Wars TV specifically with with vents. horrible horrible overuse of vents because yeah. they always my favorite part is, seem to come is one of the separatist references that uh, later in the arc. And I love that they're that self-aware now too. Like they're supposed to be stupid, but like they even even they're like, did you check the vents? That's the oldest trick in the book. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was it was it was hilarious. They uh yeah, I know. I think the Clone Wars just gaining a new level of, of self-awareness um on the part of the creators. So I think yeah, really, really well done for that. That really yeah. made me appreciate these episodes yeah. um but i think you know when they're captured obviously anakin and obi-wan have the tension of anakin very action oriented he's really chomping at the bit and then we have obi-wan saying oh no no we gotta sit back we gotta sit back and i i, I like that because it's so emblematic of their relationship and it's the perfect it's a perfect summary kind of of Pretty much all of the Clone Wars and the and the prequel era in terms of how uh, in terms of how they operate. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's it, it it's it's a joy to see this flash from the past, flash from the past, as you should call it. Um, you know what I mean? Yeah, um, absolutely. It's it's really enjoyable to see that. Um, this the last part of this episode. I feel, you know, when Obi Wan says, "Oh," or when Anakin says, "Crystal," I thought he said missile. And then he's complaining. He's like, "Don't he has have a speeder or a ship when he's when he's being forced to when him and Obi Wan are being forced to walk as prisoners?" Like, this to me is where I go, "Huh, this is something different." Because th- at that point, these episodes just become they just become pure unbridled chaos and trolling hilarity. And I'm not quite sure what to make of it, given how heavy a lot of the rest of late Clone Wars is. Yeah, I, I understand what you're going with there. It, it does seem a little bit, how do I say, unbalanced, I guess you could say. To me, it felt very, and not in a bad way, obviously, I feel like it It was a great, it felt like a great throwback to, um, you know, uh, earlier Clone Wars, and I thought it injected some much-needed levity. But yeah. it just felt, it just felt very strange compared to the rest of, the Clone Wars at this stage that they're, you know, just 
cracking cracking jokes and uh yeah whatnot left and right um this is something Not that, I'm that complaining, I, though. yeah this is a note i took for the next episode but it applies to the entire arc even though i understand why and we'll get to this later why ahsoka's walkabout was put in the martez sisters instead of this for season seven i think crystal crisis generally fits better stylistically with the bad batch than um ahsoka's walkabout does and mm. let me be clear, I like Ahsoka's Ahsoka. Walkabout as an arc better than Crystal Crisis, but I think Crystal Crisis stylistically, because both Crystal Crisis and Stylist and um, Bad Batch are very, like, you know, they're very they're very funny, they move at the speed of thought, you know, except for that yeah. first episode, but, like, you know, they're, they're very, they're, they're, they're throwbacks, but you know they're close to sip, cause, and they have that vibe of impending doom just around the corner. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and they they have a lot in common in that way. Um, yeah, yeah. A few other things I have for this. Sorry, wait, did you say something? Go ahead. Go ahead. A few other things I have for this arc. Obviously, there's the scene. Um, I feel like I need to. We need to give a little more context since not many people have seen this. But there is a scene where uh, Anakin um decides to go to town on some uh some battle droids with two uh two blasters that he uh yeah. took from battle droids that for me was an unexpected joy i thought it was freaking awesome um i love how each shot it seemed was given so much impact in just the terms of in terms of the cinematography um how much emphasis were put on the shots and the sound escape of the episode you know yeah. anakin as a jedi using blasters obviously the the symbolism of of that in a time when he's, you know, grappling with his frustrations with the conventions of the Jedi Order. Yeah. Very unexpected joy for me to see Anna and just look at go to town was, on some battle roads. Look at how he was, like, lusting over those weapons. Yeah, he was... like, I like this one. Yeah, he wasn't He wasn't just doing this out of a... This wasn't just something he was, he was uh, doing out of necessity. necessity. I, he no, went to the armory... He, he went to, he the, went to the armory and he picked them purpose. out and he was like, hmm. And, and Obi-Wan was like, Obi-Wan didn't have his lightsaber. And even Obi-Wan was like, yeah, no, I'm going to, I'm going to do it the civilized way. You know, I'm going to do so it with Obi my magic even says so, Obi-Wan even says, oh, such a clumsy weapon, which again, yeah. so again, they did a great job of, I guess, bringing in those, um, references. those, those original trilogy, uh, energy and yeah. references um also Absolutely. peak clone wars humor how uh obi or anakin kills a bunch of droids destroys a bunch of droids obi-wan says oh nobody's impressed and then immediately one of the sugi walks around the corner and says impressive jedi like this is such a troll episode at this point and it, i'm, it I'm really so is. here for it i'm so yeah. here for it <laughs> i mean there's a video that i've heard you reference a couple of times um obi-wan kenobi master of trolling yeah, that absolutely. could just be this I, entire arc. This arc was peak Obi Wan trolling. I absolutely <laughs> loved it. I absolutely yeah. loved it. He, I, this is him just saying, "Yeah, you know what? Yeah, I am yeah. the master of trolling, and I'm yeah. proud of it too." Yeah. Uh, you want to get on to the Crystal Crises? Yes, let's get on to the namesake episode, Crystal, Crystal Crisis. Crisis. Um, what do you got? 
Uh, give me a second. I'm gonna pull up the Wikipedia uh, the Wikipedia summary because I watched this like four days ago or something like that. Oh okay, yeah, um, sure, for sure. In Crystal Crisis, um, the Obi Wan and Anakin um try to get the massive crystal um Kyber crystal off of Utapau by uh by trying to launch um the Sugi Arms Dealer's ship. Um, unfortunately, the engines have been sabotaged, so they have to move it manually, um, and, uh, there's this huge chase, um, where they're trying to, um, get the crystal away manually, um, and, uh, the, there's a lot of, like, political drama with the Sugi and the, and Dooku, who Sugi think they can handle it themselves, and Dooku thinks that they need more reinforcements, so, um, he, there's this whole thing where Dooku's like, um, I'm gonna send Grievous, um, I'm gonna send some Magna Guards. And they're like, you don't need to do that, we got to send control. And he's like, that's not what my Magna Guards saw. Um, explain yourself. Um, and, uh, it turns out that the Palin government is indeed conspiring with the Separatists. Um, they, uh, capture Anakin, um, and Obi-Wan, um, at Pow City, um, and, um, the... Jedi, um, quickly escape with, uh, quickly escape following a shuttle that it has the crystal in it, um, and for his failure, Governor Blom is executed by General Grievous. Um, we know that, that his successor will be Chairman Tyan Maiden, who Obi-Wan meets with in Revenge of the Sith. Um, our fortune cookie is absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. I didn't know about this fortune cookie. I mean, Grievous killing people. Sure, I don't know. To me, it didn't make a lot of sense for this episode. Infamous phrases that we hear. It's an it's an old adage. Um, It's a very Star Wars sentiment, you know. Yeah, there are a lot of Star Wars stories about what happens when good people acquire too much power and get drunk off of that. I mean, the prequels. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think there are just so many better instances in the Clone Wars that they could have pulled this one out. No, but trust me. As, mu- as much shit as we're talking about these three fortune cookies, just wait until this next episode, because this next episode has maybe one of the most unbelievable fortune cookies I've ever seen. Anyway, um, oh, yeah. maybe that was just me. Um, but but um, I want to talk about something that, that happens in this episode that I think is maybe the most beautiful thing that happens in this arc, honestly. Alright, go for it. Lead us off. And so, um, Anakin's trying to find, uh, some creatures to act as mounts to lead the crystal away. Um, Obi-Wan's yeah. look, investigating a Sugi tent where a Sugi appears behind him. He turns around and he goes, Hello there! <laughs> and I, like, ascended. I, like, jumped up and down. I'm like, oh my god, Obi-Wan said hello there on Utapau. Like, I am, I'm done with podcasting, I'm done with In Galaxy, it's been a good run, everyone. I have ascended, I'm official, like, you don't know how happy that made me. I'm like, yep, this is the best, I love this, you know, this is, technically it makes the Revenge of the Sith one the second time Obi-Wan said hello there on Utapau, which I think is incredible. Um, yeah, I I just like, you know, it's incredible, and, and... Bravo to the writers for including that. Like, 
I was hoping they would include that on here because I thought it was funny if if, if Obi-Wan would say, hello there a second time on Utapau, but I never expected it, and when I saw it, I just lit up. Yeah, maybe, it was... maybe you're maybe you're not as like um as enthused about that as I am, but I'm just like I kind of died when I saw that. I don't know. I was not as enthused, I guess, as you were, but you know, I still love that. I still love that moment as a whole. Um, I thought it was again super hilarious, kind of just just this over the top feel with the way the characters are are conducting themselves. Um, really going for the 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 more humorous side um of the clone wars here it seems to me also can we talk about how uh, when when obi-wan you know when he's doing the mind tricks when he's uh when he when they're trying to find the beast he, he, it really looks like he's holding a torah when he's holding that bundle of ropes that's the first thing i thought it really looked like he was holding a torah i was like okay okay obi-wan is, is obi-wan obi-wan uh holding a space torah confirmed not clickbait <laughs> I don't know. Obi Wan, no, everyone's wrong. Obi Wan is not Jesus. Obi Wan is Moses. That's what he. Obi Wan is space. Moses confirmed. <laughs> he parted. Hey, and, hey, hey! He didn't part the seas, but he parted Darth Maul's legs from his body. Hey, oh wow! 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 Clap it Boom. up for I clap just, it up. I just won. I just won. You the just episode. won life. You just big up just won life. He's You're out. Welcome. You're welcome. I'm out. I'm out. I quit the um, podcast. That was it. It's not going to get better than that. <laughs> it's not going to wow. get better than that. We way. both quit in a galaxy this episode. Yeah. But that's just one of the many ways in which, you know, this episode to me, it's just hilarious and, and, and just just ran- absolutely random as, as all get out. Um, that being said, I think there's actually in this episode, I thought a really, a lot of really good dialogue as I yeah. do this. But I think next time I'll bring Moss to Windu. Yeah, because he's loads of fun. Yeah, but I think that's like also like the bickering about the booster, for instance. Like it, it all, it also felt very prequely. Yeah, it me, did. The way they were. This bickering. had a very great prequel vibe. Yeah, but one yeah, in fav- a good way. Not as one of my favorite conversations between Obi Wan and Anakin in this arc, and it's not a, like a banter thing. I love that they discuss like before they try to um, lower the crystal with the, the force and all that kind of stuff, they discuss how they're going to do it. They're like, okay, we're going to cut and then force push. And you rarely hear people describing out loud their thought processes while Yeah, using and the actually force. going back through it, yeah. And that I actually, also felt very prequely to me. I love that, and I, um, I want to see that more. I, I want to see that more, frankly. Yeah, like actually, kind of what is it like for yeah. these for these characters? How do they feel? How do they think when they're using the Force? I think that would be, I think that would be incredibly interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I really I really appreciated that. Um, I also do love this. Um, Dooku contacts the leader of the Sugi and gives his typical "You better not fuck this up" speech, even though. Yeah, I know you're about to fuck this up, and yeah. then the the henchman goes, "No, we won't fuck this up," and then proceeds to fuck it all up. Yeah. I mean, Dooku must be just tired at this point. He must just be <laughs> tired because this speech that he gives he gives to his, to the arms dealer, where he's like, "I oh, can just imagine Dooku's you know? like like season one Dooku is is you better not mess this up. I'm gonna have your skin if you mess this up." 
And then Dooku season seven is like, you better not mess this up. I'm gonna have your skin if you mess this. Up. Yeah, I mean, poor Dooku. He just, man. There are only three certainties: death, taxes, taxes, and, and Dooku's henchmen failing him. Dooku's henchmen absolutely shitting the bed. And he has to he has to swoop in and um or or send Grievous to uh, to swoop in pick up the pieces and also do nothing um, yeah and also do nothing I mean <laughs> but if we can just talk about the arms dealer character for a minute why does his voice sound so familiar because that's the one thing I kept coming back to was I don't so know who this guy is and Dente and Dente he is voiced by James Hong he. He was in Blade Runner, interestingly enough. I know why you're. I know why you know him. I know why you know him. Uh, as Morgan. Oh, yes, he does sound a lot like As Morgan. Is that no, the same? No, he voices As Morgan. He voices As Morgan. Okay. Okay. Also, this is another deeper cut. I, I just no saw idea. this on Wikipedia. He is also the voice of the Elder in the Elder um, Visions short. Really? The, the creepy dark really, side lightsaber guy. Did they kill? Remember the guy, the, the Elder? I do. I had no idea. Yeah. yeah that made, that makes sense, though. Yeah. Um, that makes sense. The Elder. Um, yeah. I, I just realized, wow, Morgan's crazy now that I think about it. I can see it. Yeah, I can definitely see as Morgan and and Dente being voiced by this voiced by the same guy. Yeah, their voices sound to me almost identical, and I, you know, as a rebels, as a rebels fan, I'm, I feel as a big big rebels fan, I feel slightly shocked that I didn't know this. I guess maybe this is my sign that I need to to rewatch season one of a uh, of rebels. It has been quite a few years since I uh, since I last watched it. I think I watched the last. Gosh. 2019 2020 which probably yeah. the longest since i've watched it since it came out yeah um, <laughs> in any case say. moving on i don't oh. know what else do you have for this episode because i yeah. didn't have a lot um there, there's some other funny there, there's some other funny references i like in this episode first of all uh grieve asking um uh i think it's the powens do you think i'm an idiot is a nice oh, yeah. meta of reference. Course. Of course. <laughs> um, Man, RIP to the arms dealer, because he was actually pretty funny, and then he just gets yeah. slain. He gets slain. Um, I also like the chase sequence at the end and how they brought Varactyls into it. And my headcanon yeah. is that one of those Varactyls is indeed Boga, the Varactyl that Obi-Wan rides in Prevent of the Sith. Really? Um, very it's my headcanon. I just like I just like the idea that one of them in that scene where we just quickly flash the reactals is Boga. Because like I, I it's it's one of those like fan service moments that I really like because it's just like it flashes to the reactals and it's like, oh yeah, they are they're native to Utamao, of course they'd be there. And it's not like a hey, this is important, you need to see this. It's a if you know you know. Um yeah. uh I also love, there's one more meta reference that I love. Um, Master, I'd rather not be here when Grievous arrives. Which is yeah, a I mean, literal reference to 
Anakin not meeting Grievous until Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. I, I, I do think that although there are many things about this arc that I love, one, one thing I am glad, one reason I'm glad that it did not get released is that it comes dangerously, dangerously close, maybe it unreasonably does. close does. to having Anakin and Grievous meet to the point where in, in this chase scene, um, yeah, in the chase scene with the cave, Anakin and Grievous literally, they literally see one another. They clap yeah, eyes on it. They're far away from it. I'm like, yeah, I, I put this down in my notes as well. I'm like, they're far away from each other and that's not meeting. Okay, okay, that's like that is from a certain point of viewing things so much. Yeah, like that is definitely like, from a certain point of viewing things. Like having their unconscious bodies be dragged across from each other in uh, Shadow Warrior. Okay, fine. Yeah, I can but live with this. That. But this, like, come on, yeah. man. Really, your excuse is—they're too far away from each other. Okay, yeah, but like, let's not though. Imagine how it would have gone. Grievous, you're shorter than I expected. What Anakin? We literally saw each other like a month ago. Yeah, well, you were far away, so I didn't know how tall you were. The big bang follows Anakin and Obi Wan's infiltration of a separatist capital ship to get the Kyber crystal back. Um, they um, they board the ship. Um, they get separated. Um, Obi-Wan gets into a fight with Grievous, which indeed he loses. He is captured by Grievous. Anakin simultaneously rescues him and acquires the, their lightsabers and, and, and the crystal. Um, uh, and um, Obi-Wan narrowly avoids execution. Um, and the crystal, uh, as they make their great escape, uh, the crystal is revealed to absorb and intensify the blaster fire of the droids um which causes it to release green beams that are suspiciously reminiscent of the death star's super laser uh and so anakin and obi-wan make the hard choice that instead of bringing the crystal back to coruscant like they originally intended to um at the wishes of the Jedi council they will instead destroy the crystal so grievous cannot use it for more dangerous means they go back to uh coruscant um, and debrief with the Jedi. The fortune cookie, let's talk about this fortune. This fortune cookie is maybe one of the most genius fortune cookies I've ever seen. Okay. If at first you don't succeed, Jacob, fill in the blank. Try, try again. Sorry, nope, destroy it. If at first, if at you, don't first succeed, you don't succeed, destroy, destroy it. it. I'm not I lying. Mean, I'm not lying to you. I legitimately had to go up go on Wikipedia to make sure this was the real fortune cookie because it looked so fake. It's hilarious. Really? I mean, so, so they just went full. My first thought was, okay, so they just went full troll mode with this one. And like but dark when you really side think about like, it. Yeah. Yeah. When you really think about it, it like I'll, I'll let you lead off. Cause I know you were, you were getting really excited about, about talking about this, but there is like more than meets the eye. I think. At the beginning of this episode, I was very confused by it. I understand it now. I think with, like, like with the episode about them destroying the crystal, I understand where they were trying to go with it. I just think it was poorly executed. Um, I think, like, you know, um, like something about how destroying some something might not be good, but sometimes it's necessary. 
might be more yeah. appropriate. Um, you know, uh, or like doing a good thing. So, uh, sometimes doing a good thing is less important than preventing a bad thing or something like that. Yeah, I think it's an interesting. It's an interesting idea, especially for the Jedi, because at first, I, I think the first time I thought about it, it was like, oh, I feel like if at first you don't succeed, destroy it. And what Obi-Wan says kind of near the end of the episode, he says, well, if, if we can't have that crystal, no one can. Um, yeah. At first, that feels kind of like a, a more dark side idea approach. But then also it makes sense from the Jedi's perspective where the Jedi, you know, would it be an act of, of greed potentially to say, okay, we're, we may need to risk, we may need to take a riskier route to try and then gain the crystal for ourselves rather than taking the easy, rather than taking the easier route and just destroying it outright. Like it, it, they, it's kind of like as the Jedi, do they have any right to kind of take it for their own wants and, and uses and ambitions or are they more bound, even though it's a kyber crystal and they could really make interesting use of it, are they still just more bound to their servitude and their mandate to protect protect the galaxy in which case the easiest way to do that would be, of course, to destroy it, even if it's less beneficial to the Jedi yeah. themselves to destroy it. I was so that's, that, that's kind of what I was really thinking about at the end. I, I was thinking back to the Citadel when O.C. Sobek said, um, picks up, who is it, Tarkin, and goes, if I can't have the information, no one can. Yeah, that, that's kind of like the dark about, side version of this. Yeah, right I was now. thinking about the contrast because, you know, the Jedi aren't destroying a life. The Jedi aren't killing someone. The Jedi are just destroying a really powerful crystal. They're just destroying an object. They're both moves out of yeah. desperation, but Anakin is destroying an object and a lot of droids. O.C. Sobek is trying to kill someone. I love how those diametrically opposed things are set up, basically. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Do you want to uh, jump into the episode? Yeah. 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 Let's so talk we open about with... Yeah, the, the meeting with the, the council. The meeting with the council, which I think is amazing because you have the council basically, Yoda basically saying, Obi-Wan, you're being so cavalier right now. Yes. You dirty dog. And cavalier, you're cavalier all the time, and no one says anything about it. I'm yeah, just better fact, at it, that's all. Yeah, the fact that Obi-Wan is so frustrated with it takes out his frustration on Anakin because he sees Anakin getting over this all the time is is just hilarious. I think again, this really makes me wish. I think the banter and the exchanges that we have between Anakin and Obi-Wan, that's what makes these episodes so part of what makes these episodes so great to me. I, I so wish more people can could see this. It just brings so much to their relationship, I think. And it's interesting to me because this is the subtle regression. You know, we got the progression, now we're getting the regression. Because yeah, where they're going back to just scolding. The council's chiding Obi-Wan for being so cavalier. 
and for it's like being so cavalier is a sign of an independence and the Jedi are famously like I said in this era you know they're regressing and what's masked as a snarky line and it is is also an, an indicator of the Jedi they learned and now they're as Yoda would say in Empire Strikes Back they're unlearning what they've learned yeah like we in in um in the final arc of season six uh like the de- in the in the sacrifice destiny arc we see like yoda say like anakin you know I disobeying know the council like, your expertise is is the exact but, example i wrote in my notes yeah yeah he says like yeah, this is your expertise but disobeying the council is your expertise but like it's expertise like it serves like it, it can serve it us well and purpose. it can serves you well and then in here you kind of it seems like he's regressing a little bit, getting back goes towards back. Revenge of the Sith. Goes yeah. back. I feel like, gosh, there's so many moments where they're they're so close to breaking through. Yeah. And even in this, um, even if this is kind of, I think, the beginning of the regression, feels like they're so close to breaking through in, in some of these, uh, some of some of these episodes of the Crystal Arc. Absolutely. Um, so. I want to get to this duel between Obi-Wan and Grievous and why it makes no freaking sense. Can anybody right. explain to me? Can you explain to me? Can you please, please explain to me? Obi-Wan, Grievous has um, his lightsabers crossed on Obi-Wan's neck. He defeats Obi-Wan fair and square. Why is he not dead? I mean, I understand the reason is because the plot needs to happen and Revenge of the Sith needs to happen, but like... He should be so dead. The fact that it said, takes Dooku to tell him, hey, you should have really killed that guy by now, is, like, freaking ridiculous. Grievous is the I mean, only I one who had for a rivalry way. for this entire war. Yeah. I think that rivalry is exactly why, though, you know. Do you really think that someone like Grievous, think of all we've seen of Grievous in the Clone Wars, in the, in the movies... Is he really just gonna let his biggest rival? Is he really just gonna? Is he really just gonna dispatch him like that? No, he's gonna gloat. He's gonna talk to him. He's probably gonna try and torture him and inflict inflict great bodily pain on Obi Wan. You know, like knowing Grievous as the character, I'm not I'm not surprised at all that he's like, okay, I'm gonna sock you away and I'm just gonna sit on you. And wait until I'm I'm good and ready, and then I'll come talk to you and deal with you. Yeah. So to me, it, to me, it, it makes perfect sense. That makes sense. Yeah, I, I didn't think about that in the it, first place. It's not maybe it's not the smart thing to do. Yeah. But it's in character for. I think years. that's probably yeah. I think that's probably what I was thinking is is it's just like you should have killed him by now. Um, I love yeah. also that Obi Wan cites this thing when he's being marched to his execution. The Yavin Code. Yeah, the Yavin Code. <laughs> it's hilarious. I think is the Star Wars version of the Geneva Conventions. Yeah, it must be. I looked up the Geneva Conventions specifically because, um, I like it was like the rule about having a a, a prisoner be blindfolded while their execution. The Yavin Code, um, uh, and um. I love how everyone uses it as a distraction. I actually contemplated for a few seconds. I'm like. Hey, I could just DM Dom Thomas right now and see what he says about the Geneva Conventions and all that kind of stuff. Alas, yeah. I didn't. He'll be coming back sometime. Um, we won't yeah. have him back, so you know. 
This means that the clones were uh, they were ignoring the Yavin code in the um in the Umbara arc when they were gonna execute fives and uh was it when they were gonna execute fives and Jesse. Um well with no here's, why, here's why that's not true though, because they don't. Remember they were never planning to, so like, you know. And by the way, who's that's the true. guy that's who true. would care the least about the Yavin code? Paul motherfucking Krell. Absolutely Michael, would not care at all. I see you, I hear you, I don't care. Um, we at this podcast are anti krell firmly. I don't very, care. We what, are very anti krell what, what what this Michael guy has to say about this. Um, Palm Krell is is a terrible basilisk. If I want to go backwards for a second, just and just just shout one thing out, which is the space chase scene when they're chasing down the. Uh, when they're chasing down that shuttle into the um into the into the separatist supply ship, man, yeah. I thought the choreograph the choreography was just absolutely perfect. It was on point. I so wish that we could have seen this finished. Also, the battle droid just having a complete mental breakdown and running away when he sees Anakin show up. Yeah. That, that's absolutely hilarious. My favorite one is, is, is there are two battle droid interactions I love. First of all is is when Anakin goes boo and the battle droid yeah. is scared away from that. The second one is Anakin asks for his lightsaber back. The battle droid does not shoot at him. It just gives it to him. Yeah. It, no, I mean, and then he destroys the fucker anyway. Yeah, no, it's... Oh. <laughs> no, it's... Man, the battle droids are really getting the they're getting the short end of the stick. I know. Um, I love that they're self-aware. I love that they're self-aware. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I love their their self-preservation. You know, I know it's like I know they're just like comic relief and it's like oh, they're just like being goofy and silly comic relief whatever like meant as a kid's show, but honestly, I honestly love the battle droids and I I can't I can't get enough of them because they just have that that mix of they're so earnest about what they're trying to do and yet they're also just so the odds are always so hopelessly stacked against them. Yeah. It's kind of sad in a way like when we see the battle droid at the end who who is running after the battle droid running after its own legs which have been detached and are still walking. And it's crawling after it. Like, it, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about this decision to destroy the crystal. You know, yeah. All right. this is a very, this is a, this is a trope that's been used more often in fiction recently, you know, in geek fiction and stuff like that. I'm thinking of the Elder Wand at the end of the Deathly Hallows um, for all the Potter fans, um, the decision to destroy that. I'm thinking of the decision to destroy the holocron containing the list of all Jedi names at the end of Jedi Fallen Order. In order, both both of them, in line with the crystal, in order to prevent them from falling into the wrong hands. Um, it's a trope that's getting used more and more in fiction these days, and I, I don't know, it's probably been used in the past as well, of course. But, um, you know, I, I do like this, this um, conclusion to the arc of this whole crystal, I do wish we got a little bit more explanation as to what the crystal was, so that this could have could have had a little bit more impact. 
personally. Yeah, I think that was, like I said, I just think that was the one thing missing was just they and they was just, you know, some kind of way of tying this into the bigger story of the Death Star. And yeah. obviously just given the Death Star, given that it's the Death Star, they wouldn't have needed to do much. Yeah. So I, I think that, I don't know. I just wish they had done a little something, but all in all, all in all, I still thought it was, it was fantastic. Um, but it, it did feel a little bit like it existed in a vacuum at the same time. Yeah. Um, anything else before we get to that council meeting at the end? Um, I got one more thing before we get to the council meeting at the end. Um, I guess overall, I'm just thinking at this point, man, this episode is so crazy and over the top with the crystal it, action. It's ridiculous, um, and I love it. The fact that Kenobi waves at Grievous as he's pushing the crystal, like, yeah. he truly is the master of my, my favorite one, my favorite thing, line, my favorite line this episode is, is, is hands down, I correct mentioned this earlier. Next time, try not to lose it. Remember, this weapon is your life. Yeah. Yeah, Anakin does not miss the opportunity to, Anakin uh, takes to no get prisoners. some of his own back <laughs> yeah. with Obi-Wan. Um, it's great. Um, yeah. Um, just overall, this arc, I want to see if you feel the same way. I was shocked by the tone for something that would happen so late in the Clone Wars. I was shocked by the levity and just the the chaos of it all with, 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 we have, you know, with, with Obi-Wan um, saying like, Oh, I, are you not surrendering? I'm going to take that as a no, like as Grievous's lightsabers are inches from his neck, you know, yelling out to the battle yeah. droids as he's being imprisoned, just all the, all those kinds of moments. I'm not complaining, but it feels so over the top and so, I think different from a lot of the late Clone Wars and from any of the Clone Wars that, that I'm just wondering what happened here. I don't know. Um, I do like, remember Revenge of the Sith has the humor of its own, you know, like, of course it's a dark movie, but you know, there's um, Cody, I'll try not to destroy all the droids before you arrive. Yeah. Um, and you know, there's, there's of course the infamous elevator scene that that got cut, you know? Yeah. I'm, oh my gosh. The ele Yeah. <laughs> Half of the I think scenes... this beat is down. Yeah. No, 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 no. I think this beat is up. Yeah. I mean, I thought that that's, that's I think, what kind of stood out to me about this arc is that half of the humorous moments, half of the funny bits were on the same level of borderline absolute batshit insanity as the extended elevator scene from Revenge of the Sith. That's kind <laughs> of what that felt like to me. Like some of these moments, so like some of these moments felt kind of deranged in the best possible way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I anyway, wanna um, I wanna take two things from the final council scene if we're ready to move on to that. Let's do it, yeah. I want to hear what um, you have to first say. First one. Uh one of the Jedi says, We may never know what plans Grievous had for the crystal. This is why I wrote my notes for that. Yeah, very sad. This arc needs like a sequel or something. 
We need to find out what they were using the crystal for. Maybe they're using it for like a super weapon and then like a rebellion breaks out and then they go to attack the super weapon. I'm just spitballing. Just just some ideas, throwing some out there. Um, secondly, Yoda tells um, Anakin at the end, referring to, to, to ancient legends about the Sith using um, Kyra crystals as ancient super weapons. Um, in legends, we often find great truths, Skywalker. This rings uh, back to that Rebels line from Ahsoka. There's always some truth in legends. Absolutely. Legends can mean fables, but it can also mean Star Wars colon legends. Um, uh, which is basically the Clone Wars writers saying that they can take anything from legends that they want because they know how much fans like that stuff. But here's something else interesting. Here's something else interesting that we can say. Technically, with how this arc turned out, this could be self-referential. This arc technically until further notice is not canon so it could be considered as legends which means in legends we often find some great truths it says about a legends arc boom very true boom when i, mean, I figured that one it. out I, my, my mind was blown anyway there you have uh, it yeah um, i had a lot more fun with this arc than i thought i would it was definitely something completely different. Um, definitely some some much needed levity after seasons five and six of the Clone Wars. So a very a very fun little detour indeed. A very yeah. a very fun little niche of Star Wars. I had a fun time with this arc. I think I liked it less than Jacob did, just because. Yeah. Generally, I think it's there were my some- kind of arc. Yeah, it's your kind of arc, and I think there were some things that were, like, didn't quite work for me, because, like, there were, there was, I think there was a bit of lack of focus with this arc, and I think there was a bit of, like, eh, you know, what are they doing here, and how are they doing it? The Big Bang slaps as an episode. I love that episode. Um, a Death on Utapau is pretty bad, honestly. Um, but, uh, uh, I, 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 but I loved taking this little break from, um, the normal content we've been doing and i love talking about this arc that not many know about and it's 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 fun to look take a look back at what could have been um now we get to everyone's favorite part of star wars in the galaxy what you've brought me today is going to be worth one quarter portion that's right one quarter portion the part where we do something a little different today we have star wars opinions we got two opinion questions uh, Jake, you want to start us off with your first opinion question? Yes, absolutely. Continuing in the theme of these special vaulted episodes, Eli, I'm going to ask you, what is one canceled or abandoned, no longer serviced Star Wars video game that you think deserves to be resurrected? Okay, I'm not kidding you. My first one quarter portion question was what is your favorite scrapped Star Wars idea? We were on the same wow. wave- wavelength. But you were doing video games and I was doing like, you know, like stuff like I'm not even talking about things that were canceled. I'm like, oh yeah, Padme was gonna bring a knife on Mustafar and Revenge of the Sith and yeah. stuff like that. Um but vi- canceled video game. Um Star Wars Battlefront three. Yeah. I mean, 
for so me, we're so that's hands free. down. Done. I want. And I like, by that, do you specifically mean new Star Wars Battlefront Three, old Star Wars? I meant old 3? Star Wars Battlefront Three. There we go. There we go. Because, that because is we don't have any answer. evidence that they ever <laughs> were going to make Star new Star Wars Battlefront Three. Um, we did have evidence that they were going to make old Star Wars Battlefront Three, and they were doing some what if stuff. They 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 did some designs for a Sith Obi Wan and a Jedi Maul. Which were really interesting. Yeah, that would be that would be pretty incredible. Yeah, it was it was crazy. Um, love that stuff. Uh, What about you, man? I mean, three or is it thirteen, thirteen or yeah? Since you took um, since you took a Battlefront three, um, even though that would have been my choice, I am going to say yeah, I'm going to say thirteen, thirteen. I really would love to would have loved to see what they do with that idea um where they would have taken it i thought it had a lot of potential um and i was sad to see it go yeah no that's uh yeah 1313 looked cool um on a similar way what is your favorite star wars scrap idea favorite star wars scrapped idea wow that's such a broad mm-hmm. let me think so they developed that. either conceptually or stuff like yeah I think one of my favorite scrapped ideas um, in the early, in a lot of the early Ralph McQuarrie art or in some select pieces, you see non-force using people wielding lightsabers. You see stormtroopers wielding some early version of lightsabers. I think in some, even though this would be super, super world altering for Star Wars, in, in some what if, I think it would be really interesting to have a universe in which the lightsaber is not just a symbol of forced users of the Jedi, of this Sith. What if it's just something that people use? How would that play out? Is it a status symbol? Is it something that's frowned upon? Is it celebrated? You know, I think I there's a lot of possibilities there. In the 2015 Star Wars comic, there is a squadron of stormtroopers called Scar Squadron that use lightsabers. Scar so, Squadron. Yeah, Scar Squadron. Um, I, from what I've heard, they're kind. They kind of have the um, Death Trooper curse, where they look cool but they don't do a lot. Oh yeah, also, I think I've read one comic. Also, Scar Squadron is is, is is coincidentally task, Imperial Task Force. 99. Like, say, like, say, Clone Force 99, like, say, The Bad Batch. Yeah. Yeah, the one I read about, the one I read here was where they had, uh, I think they were trying to take down Gracchus the Hut, maybe, um, if you know that arc, but I don't know what's terrible. I don't know what's terrible about them. Anyway, um, uh, my favorite Star Wars scrap ideas, I have a few of them that I want to throw out. I have two of them. First one, the deleted scene from the Clone Wars Season 3 Mortis arc that showed Darth Revan and Darth Bane and mm-hmm. their spirits. It would have made Darth Bane canon three seasons earlier. It would have made Revan canon. I know I hate Revan as a character, but I'm still intrigued. I think it would have been cool. First one. Second one, the Episode 9 concept art where they had Coruscant. 
if we had seen Coruscant in Rise of Skywalker, which could have actually happened, again, I love that movie, but, like, if we saw Coruscant in the Rise of Skywalker, that would have been incredible. ST Coruscant yeah. would be crazy. Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, what's your second one? My second one is... <clears throat> Which Star Wars character, Eli, has the best style? I mean, Lando. That is a good answer. I will give that to you. However, I would contend that there is another. Sabine. I think Sabine has some of the best style. She's constantly changing her armor and she's constantly changing her air. Her hair. She has so many cool different styles and looks over the course of Rebels, you know, and especially with that short hair at the end, you know. I really I really hope that uh I really hope that they um make her look very cool and stylish and you know, give her some crazy dyed hair when they uh, when they bring her in live action. Jake, I think do I need to awesome. remind you what John Glover looked at looked like as as Lando at the end of Solo on Numidian yeah. Prime. <laughs> like, I mean yeah, look you look at this guy. He looks freaking snazzy. He looks. I'm not. I'm not. He looks incredible. Yeah. He looks incredible. But okay. we we did. I just think we didn't get enough of Lando in Solo. We need. I need. Oh, yeah, I, I can't get enough of Lando. I think. I'm we excited for the series. I'm, my second one is a choice question. Okay. So All let's right. talk about the three main villains of the prequel trilogy: Ooh. Darth Maul, Count Dooku, and, and General, General Grievous. Binks. Just kidding. Yeah, and General Grievous. <laughs> Of the three, who do you like the best? Who do you think is the best of all three? I'm going to go with Count Dooku because he is refined. He is not your average Sith Lord. And because of his strange dedication to trying to tell Anakin and Obi-Wan what's actually happening... In Attack of the Clones, why is he doing that? What is motivating him to do that? Why is that not a massive risk? What is and and then later on, um, in the Lost One, you, you know, we we get him saying, "Oh, you should have believed me on Genosis all those years ago." Years ago not only is that an amazing moment, why why does he want? Why does he care? What is the end game there? I'm I've always been so fascinated by that that I have yeah. got to go with Dooku. Um, Devor, don't kill me, um, because I know Devor is a big fan of one of these characters. Um, don't go after us. Uh, your, your, your fiance always already has a habit of going after us. I don't want this <laughs> to become a family thing. Um, I'm also going to choose Count Dooku. Uh, I'm Ooh. going to choose Count Dooku. It was tough between him and Grievous. Devor, don't come after me because I didn't choose Grievous. Um, uh, but... Yeah, you know how how much I've always loved Dooku as a yeah. character. Eli, Eli, you're like an OG Dooku fan. Like, I'm I started an o- to come I, around to Dooku, but you've been like, an o- like you've been a Dooku fan since like cool. the moment I met you. Like you're a real OG Dooku. Fan I'm I'm, I'm I'm an OG Dooku fan. I, I I love the stuff we see with him. I love I I I think his story is incredibly tragic, and I think his story is incredibly interesting. Um, there's a lot of nuance to them. Um. And I, I, you know, like, this is a guy who is one of the best duels in the galaxy, but then Sidious just decides to force choke him across the galaxy, and that just happens. 
Um, and you know, it, 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 it's these like, you know, he has the also, by the way, let's talk about his style too. Yeah. Two words. Yeah. I need two words. Exquisite pajamas. All I need. That's everything. If you haven't played Battlefront 2, look up Star Wars Battlefront 2 Count Dooku exquisite pajamas. Chef's yeah. kiss. Chef's Yeah, absolutely. Chef's kiss. kiss. You know, say what you want about EA, but they do have a sense of humor sometimes. They do. It's great. It's incredible. Um, yeah, uh, I think that's it. That's going that's to be it. it for this episode of Star Wars in a Galaxy. Next week, for episode 75 of Star Wars in a Galaxy, we have an exciting episode. I'm so excited to announce this. This is the first time I've spoken this out loud. Um, the incredible Alex and Molly Damon of Star Wars Explained will be joining us to talk about the Martez Sisters arc. If you've listened to this podcast at all, you know how huge of a fan I am of both of them. Uh, they're basically both my heroes. Um, and they're such huge influences on everything we do in this community and everything that a lot of guests we've had on do in this community. And we're so incredibly excited to welcome the two of them on for what I'm sure will be a fascinating conversation about the Martez Sisters arc, which I know we already, the two of us already have some feelings about, um, and I think they're going to offer some really great new perspectives. Um, that's going to be released next week. Very excited for that one. Um, until then, uh, thank you so much for watching this episode of Star Wars. Uh, well, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Star Wars in the Galaxy. Uh, uh, you can listen to us and all of our previous episodes and future episodes on Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you listen to your podcasts, we'll be there. If we're not, email us, swinagalaxy at gmail.com. Uh, follow us on Twitter, at inagalaxypod. Instagram, at Star Wars in a Galaxy. You can follow my personal Twitter account, at ochifan327. Uh, and until next time, may the Force be with you, always.